The following message is from Hope Church in Las Vegas, Nevada. We exist to connect people to live the life of a Jesus follower. More information about Hope Church can be found at hopechurchonline.com. We have been on a journey together as a church family. We've been navigating through the wonderful, powerful book of Psalms. And one of the things that we've discovered on this journey is that the book of Psalms is full of raw, honest emotion. I mean, over the past few months, we've looked at everything from joy to struggle to celebration to pain to frustration to confusion. And on this journey, there have been several different layers for us of how we're navigating through the book of Psalms. I hope you've accepted the challenge and you've been following our daily reading plan. We thought it would be powerful for our entire church just to read through the entire book of Psalms together. If you've not had a chance to grab that reading plan, you can go on our website, hopechurchonline.com, and check that out. But we've been reading through a reading plan every Sunday as we gather. We've been teaching straight out of the book of Psalms together as a church family. And then that's kind of been spilling over into our small group conversations during the week. And we've even taken it a step further. Our worship arts team has taken some of the psalms and put it to music. Has anybody enjoyed the songs that we've been singing from the book of Psalms? Amen. So on a lot of different levels, we've, been, we've just been wading through the, the truths of Scripture that we find here in the book of Psalms. But in the midst of all those things happening, there's really one desire for us. There's one prayer. We've been praying That through reading plans and sermons and small group conversations and even worship songs. That as a fellowship, we would hear the heart of God. We've been praying that through the word of God, we would hear the heart of God. And this morning, we continue on this journey through this powerful book. So if you have a Bible, or you have your smartphone, or your tablet, or whatever it is you have to access Scripture, turn with me to the book of Psalms, chapter 90. And in just a moment, I'm going to read verses 1 through 12 of Psalm chapter 90. We're about to read a psalm that was written by a man named Moses. Moses is one of the more familiar individuals in the Old Testament, you may have heard of him. But Moses is writing this psalm, and it's actually the oldest psalm in the entire book. And the way that it's recorded, it's recorded as Moses' prayer. And he's praying to God based off some reflections and insights that he's derived over his life's journey. And Moses is a man who had an incredible Life journey. He saw miracles. He saw God's activity. He experienced disobedience in his relationship with God. He saw wilderness time. He was in the desert with the children of Israel for 40 years. He spent 40 years in the pagan nation of Egypt. And he spent 40 years in a place called Midian where he was simply a servant shepherd. And in this psalm, Moses is pouring out his heart 
based off all of those experiences that he's walked through in his life. So look with me in Psalm chapter 90. I want to start reading in verse 1. The Bible says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn man back into dust and say, Return, O children of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes by, or as a watch in the night. You have swept them away like a flood. They fall asleep. In the morning they are like grass which sprouts anew. In the morning it flourishes and sprouts anew. Towards evening it fades and withers away. For we have been consumed by your anger, and by your wrath we have been dismayed. You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days have declined in your fury. We have finished our years like a sigh. As for the days of our life, they contain 70 years, or if due to strength, 80 years. Yet their pride is but labor and sorrow, for soon it is gone and we fly away. Verse 11. Who understands the power of your anger and your fury according to the fear that is due you? And then verse 12 that we're going to spend our time in this morning. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now Moses is writing this with the understanding that the majority of his time here on earth has passed. And very soon he'll be entering into eternity with God. And he's he's writing this psalm, and I hope you heard just the tone of it. Seeking and longing to say that he's leveraged his life for what matters the most. He says in verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Moses desired for his life, his time on earth to be significant. And I think that's probably a desire that around the room all of us can relate with. All of us have something inside of us that wants our life to count. We want our life to matter. We want our life To be significant. I mean, after all, that's why we work so hard. It's why we deliberate over decisions. It's why we guard our possessions and resources. It's why, if we're honest, we don't tell the truth when people ask us how our life is going. We often do our best to make ourselves appear to be better than we really are. Because we want people to see us as significant. I mean, no one in the room would say, hey, here's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a life waster. (laughs) Nobody says that. Nobody has it on your 50-year plan to completely waste your time on earth. And listen, a desire for significance is not a bad thing. The problem is, so many people pursue significance in the completely wrong way. 
So what I want to do out of verse 12 is I want to give you a key perspective. And I want to give it to you in two statements. And they can stand alone, but I, really, I believe they really go together to be just one overarching perspective that Moses is praying here in Psalm chapter 90. So here's the first part of this perspective that I want us to, to wrestle with this morning. My time on earth will definitely be short. You say, well, pastor, amen. What an encouragement this morning. <laughs> I got my kids up and I came to church to hear you tell me that my time on earth is going to be short. Well, that's what Moses says. In the first part of verse 12, he says, So teach us to number our days. He says, God, I'm before you and I'm acknowledging that I'm not going to be on planet earth forever. The time, the days I'm going to spend here on planet earth are numbered. And the time I'm going to be here compared to eternity makes my time on earth very, very short. The book of James in chapter 4 says it this way. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Moses is praying here, Lord, would you allow me to live with an awareness that my days on earth are numbered? I did some research this week to determine in our country what is the average physical life expectancy. The average physical life expectancy for someone in our country is 78.7 years. Now that's the average. So depending on if you are a male or a female, I've got good news or bad news. <laughs> and unfortunately for all the males in the room, it's bad news. The average physical life expectancy for a male is 76.2 years. Ladies, you get the good news. Your average physical life expectancy is 81.1 years. I didn't know it was a competition, but congratulations. So here's the reality. Best case scenario, somewhere around 80 years, all of us are going to be on planet Earth. We're going to have that long of time. And those days are going to be leveraged or they're going to be wasted. We get to choose. The great Adrian Rogers said in one of his sermons, God's great gift to you, number one, is Jesus. And number two is time. God has given you time to work, time to serve, time to love, time to laugh, time to labor. But like any gift, how you use it is really up to you. And we need to see every day, this day and every day, as a gift from God. And one of the things that's really hard to do, at least for me, is to keep this reality in front of me on a daily basis. Because... It feels kind of weird 
to talk about. But there are a couple of teaching moments in my life that God has used to really have a healthy perspective on the reality that my time on earth will definitely be short. And I want to share those with you very quickly this morning. Uh, It was about 10 years ago, I think, and I was listening to a sermon by a man named Rick Warren. And I'd read some of his books, and I'd actually read this statement that I'm about to show you before. But when I heard it on this day, it just really landed on me in a different way. And here's this statement. Rick Warren said, You were not put on earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. And around that same time, I was uh, reading through a magazine, and I came across some research. And the research was um, communicating the, the lack of family history that most people know. And here was the statistic that I read. 85% of people do not know their great-grandparents' names. Now, maybe you're here and you do. Congratulations. But the majority of people don't know the names of their great-grandparents, much less what they did or what they were passionate about or how much money they made. And I was thinking about this week because last, a couple of weeks ago, my daughter Scarlett was in Tennessee. I want to show you a picture. This is my beautiful daughter, Scarlett, who is cuter than your kid, just so you know. <laughs> just saying. And this is my grandfather, her great-grandfather, Johnny Ogle. And as I look at that picture, just because I was kind of preparing for this talk, here's what I thought. Depending on what the new statistics are, which it varies based on who you talk to, there is a somewhere between 60 to 80% chance that when Scarlett grows up, she's not going to know my grandfather's name. So here's what that means. That means you and I, if the statistics hold true, are just a few generations from being forgotten, not by our neighbors, not by our co-workers, by our family. Let me bring you back to the quote. You were not put on earth to be remembered. You were put here to prepare for eternity. You were put here to leverage your days, as brief as they may be, for the sake of something so much bigger than you. We've been put here to leverage our lives for the sake of eternity. And when I heard that statement combined with those statistics... It just made it real for me because I'll be honest with you. At that stage in the game, I was spending a whole lot of my time and energy hoping to be remembered. Maybe you can relate with that. And in seeking to be remembered, 
I was actually wasting the gift of time that God had given me. Here's a second way that I keep this in front of me. And it actually has to do with technology. I have an app on my cell phone. And it's called the Legacy app. And what you do on this app is you put in a certain point in time. And it gives you the weeks, days, hours, minutes, and seconds until you reach that point in time. And I have two events in this app. Now some of you are thinking, that's really weird. I'm a visual guy, all right? I got to see it for it to really compute. I have two events in here. One is my daughter's graduation. I have 822 more weeks until that precious little girl graduates high school. I need to think about that. Those days are numbered for me. The second event that I have, and this is the one that's a little weird, but it's when I will turn 76 years old. I have just over 2,300 more weeks left on the planet. And I'll be honest, as I think about the reality that I was not put here to be remembered, I was put here to prepare for eternity. And I think about this, this brief block of time I have left. It just does something in me. It changes the way I, way I make decisions. It changes my perspective. It changes how I invest this brief time on earth that God has given me. That's the first piece I want us to understand in this perspective. Your time on earth will definitely be short. But here's the second piece of the perspective. My time on earth can potentially be significant. It's definitely going to be short. And it can potentially be significant. Look at the next part of verse 12. He says, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Now, the second part of verse 12 is conditional, meaning it may happen, but it may not happen. When he says here the word heart, he's not talking about the organ that's beating inside of his chest. In the Old Testament, a lot of times when they reference heart, they're speaking of totality. He's referencing his life. He's saying, Lord, that I may present to you a life of wisdom. Throughout the scripture, the Bible depicts for us two paths, two ways we can live. We can live foolishly or we can live with wisdom. Foolishness comes natural to us. We don't have to try, all right? But wisdom is different. Wisdom does not come natural for us. Wisdom must be given to us by God. So here's how I want us to think about wisdom this morning. Wisdom is the ability to see life from God's perspective. Think about this. Everything God says is wise. His plans are perfect. His commands are right. His design design for living is best. When we are living with wisdom, we are seeing life from God's perspective. John MacArthur said it this way. Wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. 
and continues by acknowledging his truth and ways. Turning from foolishness to wisdom is turning from self to God. So think again about verse 12. What's Moses praying? Here's what he's praying. Lord, allow me to live my life according to the way you designed me to live it. He's at the end. He's looking back over his life. He's saying, Lord, would you allow me to live my life in accordance with the way you designed me to live it? And I would imagine as he prayed this, he was thinking about his family. He was thinking about his people. He was thinking about the generations to come. He's saying, Lord, teach us to know we're just here for a moment. That we can leverage our lives and live our lives according to the way you designed us to live. But this is not only an Old Testament principle. It's also a New Testament principle. The book of Ephesians chapter 5 says it this way. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. Now listen to this. Making the most of your time. Because the days are evil. We just read it in Psalm 90. There it is again in Ephesians 5. Instruction to leverage time according to wisdom. So here's how you pull that together. If I truly desire to leverage my time on earth for a significant purpose, I must seek to live according to the way God intended You see, for a lot of us, when we think about pursuing significance, we think about money, we think about fame, we think about possessions, we think about resources. But what Scripture says here is that I pursue significance by pursuing wisdom. The way that I pursue a significant level of stewardship here on earth with my time is by living my life the way God intended So here's the big question that I want us to take a few moments and wrestle with this morning. What does it look like to walk in wisdom? The Bible's saying significance is found through wisdom, through seeing life through God's perspective, the way he intended me to live it. What does that look like? Well, what I want to do this morning in our time remaining is I want to give you one characteristic of wisdom. There's a lot, there's a list we could talk about. Dozens and dozens of characteristics of wisdom. But I want to talk about one. Because I believe without this one characteristic of wisdom, all the other ones we could talk about would be applied incorrectly. So here's a a statement that I want us to just wrestle with in our time remaining. A wise person is characterized by humility. A wise person is characterized by humility. Now, I'll be honest with you. This word humility is not really a buzzword in a lot of Christian circles. There's not a lot of conferences about humility that's drawing thousands upon thousands of attenders. But as you study the scripture, it's all throughout the word of God. 
This principle of humility. So, instead of talking about all the other action characteristics of wisdom that we could talk about, I really just want to take a few moments and put my finger on this reality that a wise person is is marked, is defined by humility. The book of Proverbs says in chapter 11, When pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Meaning when there's a wise person, there's also humility. I love what Charles Stanley said. He said the top three characteristics of every believer should be humility, humility, humility. The defining mark of Jesus' life when he was on earth was humility. He was a great teacher. He loved people. He made disciples. He was about the mission. But the defining characteristic of Jesus' life was humility. I mean, think about it. When he opens up the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, here's what he started with. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who acknowledge their dependence on God. And then you fast forward to the end of his life. One of the last things to take place was his death on the cross. Which was the ultimate expression of humility. The defining mark of his life was humility. So what do you think his life is going to look like now? as it's pressed out through him in us. I believe the same characteristic should be true. And there are really two facets of humility that I want us to think about. It's a primary characteristic of a wise person, but there are a couple of components to humility that I want to highlight. And here's the first facet. Humility before God. Humility before God. Let me ask you something. When is the last time that you humbled yourself before our God? Not sat in a church service, not attended a small group. I'm saying for you, That you put your cell phone down, you closed your laptop, you turned the television off, you carved out some space, and you just you just got down before God. And you let your physical body reflect where your heart is. And you just humbled yourself before Him. And really, when I think about humbling myself before the Lord, I think about two things. I think about acknowledgement and adoration. That when I humble myself before Him, one of the things I do is I acknowledge my desperate need for Him. I acknowledge that apart from Him, I'm helpless, I'm hopeless, I can do absolutely nothing. That's a part of humbling yourself before God. But there's also adoration. To say, Lord, you are great and I am not. You are great at everything. I am awful at everything. 
There's acknowledgement of need and there's adoration of greatness. When's the last time that took place in your life? And not that you have to live that way on your knees 24 hours a day, but there's a heart attitude that you gain even in the morning when you just acknowledge the fact that to make it through the day and to see anything happen of eternal significance, he must do it through you. When's the last time you humbled yourself before? Because that is one facet, that is one part of humility. And here's here's why that's so important. Because the byproduct of being with Jesus is humility. One of the direct results of humbling yourself before God, acknowledging your need for Him, and adoring Him for being the great God that He is, what happens because of that is humility. You see, wisdom leads us to pursue God. And as I pursue God, I am humbled. Here's why. I wrote this. The closer you get to God, the more miserable things you will find in your heart. And the more humbled by God's grace and mercy you become. The byproduct of being with Jesus is humility. And I can, I can attest to that. Because my level of humility rises and falls based off how much time I've spent before my Heavenly Father. That's not always on my knees by myself for multiple hours, but it's living with an awareness of my need for Him. It's living with the adoration that He is great and He is good. It's living there. And the enemy knows that. Because here's what I would imagine. It's it's the case for me. When I ask you, hey, when's the last time you've just been before him? Just humbled yourself on your face, on your knees before your God. For most people, here's what they would say. Well, pastor, I've just been too busy. Pastors, there's just too much going on right now. Work is crazy. Family life is crazy. Listen, the enemy knows that. He knows that you, humbled before your Father, will produce the characteristic that more than anything demonstrates the life of Jesus to the world. Listen to what the great missionary Jim Elliott said. I love this. I think the devil has made it his business to monopolize on three elements. Noise, hurry, crowds. Satan is quite aware Of the power of silence. Because here's what happens. We know the significance of humbling ourselves before our God. And the byproduct of that being a life of humility. But we get busy. And our heart gets hurried. And our schedule gets packed. But we don't want anybody to know that. So we fake it. And we know the words to say. We know the attitude to have. So that you think. 
I'm humbling myself before God on a daily basis and that I'm a humble person. But listen, in my heart, there are days and I know it's a lie. I know it is. And I'm just, I want to be transparent this morning. I try to rush. I try to microwave spiritual maturity and intimacy with God that leads to humility before God. I try to rush it. And so here's what I've done. I've wrote down some of the things in my life that are true when I am trying to portray on the outside what does not match the inside. And I may be the only one in the building, plus Michelle. (laughs) But I want to be honest. And here's why I say this. Because I don't want you to leave today thinking you're fooling us and walk out the door and waste your life. When we have a significant king and his kingdom that we can leverage our brief moments on planet earth to serve. When I'm trying to portray something on the outside that is not true on the inside, I call it here self-reliance. It's not God-dependence, it's self-reliance. Here's what's true for me. My agenda takes priority over an abiding relationship with Jesus. That's true. Now we teach here, we believe here, that the greatest pursuit of our life is knowing Jesus. That's it. That's the top. There's nothing that is of greater priority than that. But when my heart's not in the right place, when I'm not humbling myself before God to acknowledge my need for Him and adore His greatness, my plan, my agenda, my schedule, what I want, my desire, my passion, my selfishness takes priority over an abiding relationship with Jesus. And I'm caught being self-reliant Not God dependent. That's not wisdom. Wisdom doesn't produce self reliance. Wisdom produces God dependence. Here's something else that's true desperate prayer is noticeably absent. When I'm faking it, desperate prayer is absent in my life. Now, I pray, but there's not the moments when I'm just pouring my heart out for how much I need him and yearn to see his kingdom come and will be done. Here's the last one. And this one is, uh, this is probably the most convicting. Moments of repentance are few and far between. When my heart is hurried, when I'm not living according to wisdom, according to God's design and God's perspective, I'm not continuously before God acknowledging, Lord, I'm, I, I confess that was me, not you. That was my desire, not your desire. That was my plan, not your plan. 
When I'm self-reliant, those things are true in my life. Maybe you can relate. And I share it with you because I want us to push away from that today. I want us to acknowledge self-reliance for what it is, the attacks of the enemy to get us busy and hurried for what they are. And I want us to to, to strive this morning away from self-reliance towards God-dependence. Because here are the things that, that for me at least are true when I'm walking in dependence on my Heavenly Father. When I'm humble before Him, these two things are heavy in my life. First of all, there is a pursuit to live daily in awe of Jesus. You know what it's like to live in awe of Him? Just to be so overwhelmed, knowing who you are and the graciousness and the mercy that He's offered you, and you live in awe of that. You live awestruck by the glory and greatness of God. When I'm humbled before Him, my heart shifts to that place. And that's exactly what I am. What if? How would it change our city if every time a person in Las Vegas was around a believer, they were around someone who had been around God? There are places in the New Testament that talk about when they saw the disciples, they knew they had been with Jesus. That's powerful. What if the people at your job, when they were around you, they were around someone who had been around Jesus? When I'm humble in the right way before God, there's a pursuit to live daily in awe. Of him. Here's the second thing. My confidence rests in who he is, not who I am. The way I'm wired, I'm a fixer. So I stress out a lot. A lot. Like lose your hair when you're 28 a lot. But something happens when you're before the one who holds time and eternity in his hands. There's a confidence that is built, that is put in you. Not because of me or my circumstances or what I have going on, but because of who he is. And here's the tragedy. For a lot of people, They live their lives trying to make a great name for themselves. All the while, the one with the greatest name has invited us to find our identity in him. That changes everything. And our confidence can be there because of him, not because of us. A wise person is characterized by humility. And one facet of humility is humility before God. Here's the second facet. Humility before others. Humility before others. Roy Hessian said, Our humility before God has no value 
but as it prepares us to reveal the humility of Jesus to our fellow men. Are you humble before others? Do you value, do you prioritize the relationships that God has put in your life? Think about that for a minute. Is your humility before others demonstrated by the way that you value the relationships in your life? Because I think this morning there are a couple of ways that we can approach relationships. And it's really, I want you to think about it in terms of two questions that you could potentially ask as you approach people. Here's the first question. How do I compare? How do I compare? This was um, made obvious to me a couple weeks ago at the gym where I work out. There's a section that has all the dumbbells and all the walls in the gym are mirrors. I don't know why they do that. It's really annoying. <laughs> but, but here's what I found myself doing. I was walking over to that section of the gym where the dumbbells are. And obviously people are over here lifting weights. And I don't know what the magical threshold was. But as soon as I crossed that threshold, I found myself doing this. And, and I'm, I'm watching for the people to see me, you know, so that, that, that they can tell I have muscles. And that I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the heaviest weight. I might not lift it today, but I'm looking at it. And there's this awful trap of comparison. How do you compare to me? And here's what happens. That seeps over into relationships. That seeps over into this church. And we're walking by somebody in the lobby or out in the parking lot, and we don't know them, so it's a little awkward. But there's a little bit about, well, what kind of shoes do they have on? Or what kind of car did they get out of? And, and there's this trap of comparison. One of the dangerous ways for us to approach people is to, to live with the question, how do you compare to me? But here's the way Jesus approached people. It was in no way, how do you compare to me, because Jesus wins every time. He approached people with a towel, saying, how can I serve you? It's way different. Our flesh leads us to say, how do you compare to me? God dependence, the life of Jesus in us, leads us to approach people by saying, how can I serve you? I value you. I want the humility that I have before God to be demonstrated in my humility before you. Here's my towel, how can I serve? It's that reality that would make the body of Christ so much more attractive. If we were to run away from the comparison trap and looking at every person through the lens of how do you compare to me and start to approach the world with a towel saying, how can I serve you? I wrote this. When we come together around our strengths, it breeds competition. But when we come together around our weaknesses, it breeds community. 
Last statement, and then we're going to take some time to respond. John Piper said, Time is precious. We are fragile. Life is short. Eternity is long. Every minute counts. Oh, to be a faithful steward of the breath God has given me. When someone asked Jesus, what's it all about? He said two things. Love God. Love others. Here's how humility is demonstrated. If we pursue wisdom, it will lead us to pursue Jesus and his humility. And that humility is demonstrated before God and before others. That's significance. Our time on earth will definitely be short. But our time on earth can potentially be significant. Thank you for listening to this message from Hope Church. We would love to connect with you, so be sure to follow us on our social networks by searching Hope Church LV.